0: Welcome to the Vorthos Podcast with your host, Matt W. Ruff.
1: Thank you, Bob. Um, So we continue with our series on this book that will probably never be published. Um, We're at Chapter 12, and I... I doubt it would actually be chapter twelve in in the real book if it happened. It'd probably move much further up. It wouldn't be first or second, but it would be further up because it's the. And remember the the book title is, "Please just stop the craziness with a line through it, absurdity with a line through it, madness with a line through it, stupidity with a line through it, evil." Of course, commas, breaking that stuff up. Okay. And it's not just the world or government or liberals that that have stupid stuff. Um, unfortunately, the Christian, in the broadest sense, <laughs> have some really stupid stuff. Um, and so I titled Chapter 12, False Christianity and the False Gospel. So let's start with that. In Second Peter, the Apostle Peter is writing, but false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. These false teachers will infiltrate in your midst with destructive heresies, even to the point of denying the master who brought them. As a result, they will bring swift destruction on themselves and many will follow their debauched lifestyles. Because of this, false teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. Now, it's very important to understand the small words. In this case, it's in the second phase. It says, just as there will be false teachers among you. I'm always shocked at the number of people that and and I'll get off pastors for a second because I I have a bad tendency to pick on pastors. Let's pick on congressmen because they're fair game. The Congress is the most closed system there is. Unbelievable number of people get reelected. Yet their approval rating is like literally 5%. As a group, they're terrible. Oh, but my congressman is fine. And when they're not, okay, I can clearly say my congressman is is terrible, um, and I've said that ever since I got here. But he keeps getting reelected, and that's true about conservative ones as well. I mean, I, in theory, I'm not for, and this is definitely a rabbit hole. I'm not for term limits, but in practicality, I think they're probably. Needs to be him since that's the only way we can keep the rotation up. Um, I'm not running for Congress or Senate, but I mean, 10, five, 10, years as a Congressman, two terms as a Senator with an exemption for two additional terms in the House and one additional term in the Senate. If you're a committee chair, you know, cause you don't want to eliminate all the experience. OK, experience is sometimes a good thing, but you, you got to get keep you need a higher turnover to get fresh blood. OK, but back to the, the point of the, deal, the church Christianity, really, uh, there will be false teachers. There are false teachers. Guess what? They may be your pastor. If they're not your pastor, they could be friends of your pastor. They are some big names. OK, there's no ifs ands, and buts about it. Okay, for one, the church is not a family business that you just turn over to your kids when you die, which is what happened to Joel Osteen. I knew, you know, I was living in Houston during this whole thing. I actually met Joel Osteen several times because he was his dad's TV producer, you know, technical director. Okay, I volunteered at a church that had a TV ministry. And there was a committee kind of there was a meeting occasionally of of like minded people. And he was there and it's no big deal. He was very good at it. Um, And when they approached him after his unexpected father's death, you know, he didn't want to do it. But he suddenly got the bug and. You know, it's. uh, It is what it is but do I think he should be the pastor of church? No, but then you know, I'm not, I'm not a member of his church. I don't listen to him. I don't buy his books. I mean, I have nothing to do with Joel's thing other than complain about him, generally speaking. Um, and, and he's not all, I'm not saying he's a bad person. I'm not saying he, he's not a Christian. I judging a person's is something you have to do. You know, and that's different than you hear a lot. Don't judge others. Well, that's not scriptural, and I'll get to that later on. But the church is not a business. Now, it's true yes, there are certain business things that apply. Their books should balance like a or business book should balance. There should be, you know, some certain things that are common. But but they shouldn't be run like a church it should not ever necessarily be majority rule okay if god says it that end, ends it i don't care if everybody else disagrees with the comment okay so it's not a family business not something you hand over to your children it's also not this whole prosperity gospel that's preached by the guys in their with their private jets whether it be Copeland or Osteen or Dollar or whoever the, the guy is, it's just not the facts. Pastors should not be making these outrageous salaries, whether it be by book sales or anything else. Let's talk about this a little bit. Um most people work a job. I say most people. I mean there's people like me that have now hit the age that were I mean, I'm sixty two and I've retired. Yeah, I retired early, but not my dad retired at fifty five. Um and I'm not fully retired. I just haven't found what I'm supposed to be doing exactly, other than this podcast, which I thoroughly enjoy. But the the idea that I worked a job for many years and I worked really hard and very long hours, something that I somewhat regret because I, I sacrificed times with the wife and kids because of work. And partially that's due because I was, a, I'm a traditionalist. I believe I am the breadwinner and my wife's job is the, to do the primary raising of the kids. Okay. The buy and conquer. And therefore uh, I'm also somewhat of a control freak. I admit it. It's a sin. It's a problem. And I ended up working, you know, 60, 70-hour weeks. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm as bad as some, but I was up there pretty bad. Um, I was pretty good at my job, I think. But, uh, I mean, I saved every company that I was supposed to, when I was turning around companies, three years turn the company around and what they did afterwards is not my problem. But, um, you know, I did, I did the contract. My last job, you know, I worked at a church for seven years. That was supposed to be a temporary job that lasted 18 months. I believe turned into seven years. <laughs> so, um, and because I worked at a church, I know a lot about how it runs and, all churches are similar. They're not the same, but they're similar. I've been a member of many a churches, and even across denominations, there's some basic things that are the same. And, um, you know, a person working an hourly job gets paid by the hour. Okay. A pastor is never an hourly job. It may be, say, you're you know, in the part-time series things, but you know, the idea of a part-time pastor is just, we can't afford a full-time pastor, but it's not part-time. Now there are bivocational pastors, which I, I hugely admire. Those are the guys, if there was a church around that had bivocational pastor, I'd probably be more interested in being a member of that church. The trouble with full-time pastors is they live a, they live a, <laughs> a world unrelated to anybody else. They have a hard time relating. You know, I I can say, listen, I joke that, you know, I did my seven years of purgatory. I worked for a church for seven years. That being said, uh, the fact that pay was not very good, the benefit was they had good insurance most of the time. It started getting less good. Less good. That's not getting less. It became worse over time because of cost. But, um, I mean, nobody cussed you out. But there was office politics. There's still stuff in there just because, you know, nobody's cussing you out. There's still stuff you had to deal with. So it's not a perfect place by any stretch of the imagination. In my case, it was just too, it was really easy. I got bored, real simple. I just kept taking on more tasks instead of just doing my job and taking and working a lot less, to be quite honest. Anyway, so... But this whole idea of a prosperity, you know, gospel, and, and it's not just Charismatics or that group. There's some really messed up, and it's in the black church, unfortunately. I remember being shocked. Uh, one of our pastors who was friends with a lot of the black pastors, he told me this, and I made him repeat it word for word because I actually didn't believe it because I was clueless of the white church. He says a lot of the, he says several of the black pastors I work with. When it says you take your tithes and offerings to the church, they're serious about that. You're supposed to take a tenth to the gift to the pastor, and the offerings to pay all the bills. So these these pastors were driving Mercedes Benz and living in big houses because they took as pastor this humongous salary for the size of the church because you're supposed to give 10% plus money to pay for all the other stuff. 10% was just for the pastor. Amazing. Um, Totally false, mind you. Totally unbiblical. But that's, that's the way it is. That's, I mean, I I heard it from my own (laughs) ears. So this whole prosperity thing is not prosperous for the member. It's prosperous for the pastor in some cases. Um, I have a book I've already written called Saltless that is totally about the problems in the American church. And I don't want this book to be about that. That's a totally, that's a book directed toward the church. So this book is directed toward everybody in America with the uh, false Christianity and false gospel, you have what I call false Christians or fake Christians or woke Christians. You know, you can come up with your own adjective, but not Christian, even though they may say they are. Um, The Bible is cluster clear on a lot of things. Yeah, it has nothing to say of whether you should use an iPhone or an Android. It's totally silent on that. Uh, But it, it has a lot to say about sexual sins. Okay. And so you can't be a practicing homosexual or, I mean, there is no, according to, to me and science, there is no such thing as transgender, so that's a whole nother ball game. But the whole open marriage, or you know, just because you are married to you know female female marriage, male male, those aren't marriages; those are you can call them partnerships or whatever, but they're not real biblical marriages. There is only one kind of biblical marriage: two Christian married before God and witnesses one male one female biological okay that's a christian marriage there is other marriage i mean two a guy and a girl can get married at a justice peace and that's that's a marriage and today in america of course two guys can get married and i'm totally shocked they haven't just totally thrown it away cuz it seems to me once you've gone past the basic definition then you know a dog can marry a person and a a um, cat can marry a dog and you know two girls can marry a guy you know polygamy is, should be totally allowed under the current statues to be quite honest I don't agree with them but I'm just saying once you you take the, the primary definition and throw it away then, then it's pretty much wide open but as I mentioned earlier we are to judge the people inside our church now I can't Totally judged Osteen, other than the fact of what he said on TV, what he, I don't listen to his shows. Um, but I've seen him on TV on occasion, and and when he says something, I agree with it. Okay, he said something I agree with. But as a rule of thumb, I don't agree with his whole stance. I mean, he has no cross, no religious artifacts in his huge Lakewood church. Okay. They got a globe, that's about it. That a podium, very skinny, you know. So, if you don't believe me, just open your Bible, go to First Corinthians 5. To be quite honest, read all of First Corinthians, just read the whole thing several times. In First Corinthians 5, the whole chapter deals with. And it starts like this. But now I'm writing to you to not associate with anyone who calls himself a Christian who is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or verbally abusive or a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such persons. What do I have to do with judging those outside the church? Nothing. But aren't you not to judge those inside? What Paul is saying is exactly this. As a body of believers, we are to he, hold each other accountable to the gospel. Okay? And if somebody, if you see your brother sin, you're supposed to correct him. Okay? Not that that rare, I mean, it does go on. I, I've seen it happen. I've been a part of it happening. When it works, it's great. When it doesn't, it's a, it's a disaster, but that's the way it is. Okay. But once a person if a person will not repent of something you know him to have done, then you have to you have to kick him out of the fellowship. Because it's it's biology, but it's also just human nature. Okay? Um, and let's talk with I mean, I'm terrible English, but I do know this one thing. What part, what percentage does a statement have to be false to be a false statement? Okay, if it's only false every one in a million times, is it a false statement? The answer is yes. Something's only true if it's always true. It's 100% zero. Unless it's worded different. If it's worded, you know, such that, this is true 98% of the time, and then it's only false, you know, 1% of the time that's within the, the realm of the question. So therefore it'd be true. Christian beliefs, Christian, which a lot of people don't know though, So that's a whole nother ball game. Um, but the things that are, define being a christian which are more than just the apostles creed okay that's the that's what we believe as it relates to the major doctrines of christianity but that's not what all we believe in let's say you can totally i totally agree with the apostles creed yet i'm totally okay with you know there's nothing in there about rape there's nothing in there about murder i mean it's not in there. So you can't say that's the summation of Christianity because it's absolutely not. So what Paul is saying here, and this is not, please accept this as is gospel truth because it is, this is not a only, these aren't the only things that would keep somebody out of a fellowship. They were the things that the, the Corinthians were dealing with. Sexually immortality, greedy, idolatry, verbally abusive, drunkenness, and a swindler. Okay, that's the six. You can go on for quite some time. Okay. If you can't get them to repent of that, you don't even eat with such persons. Church sure, still evangelize the people that are lost, but Christians who have been a part of the fellowship, who refuse to obey God's word should be kicked out because otherwise they corrupt the people left. And I see that everywhere. Okay, it's part of science. Let's talk about the current craze of COVID. I mean, COVID is a real thing. It's a real virus that's killed people, not as many as they say, of course, because they're including, you know, people that just have COVID, die of other reasons in the number. But a lot of people have died of COVID. I have friends that have died of COVID. Okay, so it's a real thing. If you're in a closed room, let's say a room 20 feet by 20 feet, and somebody has COVID in there and is coughing there's a high probability that at least several people are going to get COVID from being in that room with that person okay if you don't like that analogy let's try something with cooking it doesn't take uh, I loved my mom my mom loved me I have a, she passed away way too soon in my opinion, but she lived in her 70s, okay? But my mom loved me, and she had ways of showing it that I just so appreciated, even after I was married. When we would come visit my mom, my mother would always make my favorite coffee cape, okay? Luckily, we have the recipe, and my wife on occasion makes it. I can make it better. I can make it really good myself, but it takes, you know, it's not a mix you can buy. It's, 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 it's made from scratch. So it creates a mess and I don't like messes. That being said, one time we'd gotten in, uh, the kids were playing dominoes with their grandfather and I went to go get my coffee cake. I took one bite in and, and spit it out. It was awful tasting. Now My wife got, what's wrong? You know, something's wrong. So mom and my wife come in and taste it a little bit. And yep, yep. Something's definitely wrong. If you use, you know, if it calls for this and you put the wrong thing in, it can, you know, if you add too much sugar, probably not a problem. If you add a tablespoon of, of salt when it called for a pinch of salt, then you may have a problem here. Okay. I remember watching a Hallmark movie where the guy dumped a whole batch of salt in in the lady's batch and therefore her thing didn't taste very good. Okay. Salt has its purposes and a pinch of it's great, but too much of something can always be bad. Okay. I say all this that you have to keep it. It's like a surgical room. When they're opening somebody up, they need that room to be as sterile as possible. Is it 100% sterile? No, but they do everything they can to make it as close to that as they can. You don't want to be pumping in viruses to an open wound, okay? So you have to get the people that aren't (laughs) obeying God's word out of the fellowship. And that's exactly what they talk about at 1 Corinthians 5. And I swear I've never, hardly ever heard a sermon on this. In fact, the first time I read it, I remember asking asked my pastor, he goes, well, that's not a popular subject. Tells you something about the quality of the pastor. Okay. Now, since I'm, a, since I'm an equal opportunity offender, I'm going to offend about everybody else right now. I would say Sorry, about my mic. I would say some Catholics may be Christian, but I think it's a fairly small percentage. Now, you have a president currently in the United States who claims to be a good Catholic. He met with the Pope. We don't know what was said, but, you know, they were all chummy buddy about it. And he's a huge pro-abortionist. You have a governor who just said, I'm a good Catholic, but I'm still signing a ban. Still going to allow abortions up to birth, Okay way past but you know so these guys aren't catholics at least they're not i mean the catholic i know what the catholic i know what the catholic church talks about when it talks about abortion we're we're on we get along great in that area but what catholicism teaches and what is christian is not an equal equation the catholics have a whole thing's created out of thin air, including the papacy that isn't scripturally based. Okay. It's been just created along the way. That is the exact same thing about the Mormons. The Mormons, the con man, Joseph Smith created a Christian Cult called Mormonism, where you know he was, I mean, he was the chief prophet, and therefore he could have you know, Mormons back then could have four wives, just like Islam. They have four, they could have as many as they wanted, maybe. Um, but you know, they have he has you know, it's still taught today that there's the Book of Mormon that's separate from the Bible. And I've met a couple of undercover Christians that are that are in Mormon circles, but they're rare. Now Glenn Breck is a famous Mormon, and he's you know a lot of people get their news from Glenn Beck, and occasionally I get news from Glenn Beck just because he's a Mormon or just I mean I know Catholics that I get information from. They're not bad people, and in their expertise. My mechanic was Catholic. That wouldn't bug me that much. Okay. Doesn't bug me. I worked with a Mormon. We ran a company together. He was a great, he was a great boss and good friend, but he was Mormon. And most Mormons. It's whether or not they're a Christian. That's up. that'll be determined by God at a later date. I guarantee you. But the Mormonism stuff is a bunch of stuff. That's not biblically based though they take a lot of the biblical stuff. And so they say some of the right things. What did I say earlier that second P in second Peter? Okay. So, and guess what? It's true in your church and my church. Sad part is true in every domination though I say the percentages are higher in the evangelical churches because I think they're pretty low in the Mormon and they're extremely low in the Mormon church and fairly low in the Catholic church. You look at the number of members of a church and then you find the people that actually go in there. I remember when I was, I heard this in church. It's not just in a church. There's a saying that, that I heard in a church. It said that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Now, I don't want to get into works righteousness here, but my my point being, if you look at the people that are members of the church, because I dealt with this once when I was in Texas. Uh, In fact, it was when my, I had, when we first, when our oldest kid was pulled out of first grade, the head of the, the superintendent of schools was a member of the same church I was a member of, though I'd never seen him there. And according to the pastor, he may or may not show up at Christmas and or Easter, but that's the only time we'd see him. And I pushed to get him excommunicated from the church, and he didn't like that a bit. They even made him a deacon, not that he was an active deacon, but he liked that title. It's like the city councilman that I was, thats my city councilman was saying the other day that they finally got rid of this person that was in charge of the beautification for her district. The person never did anything, but they wouldn't give up the title because it looked good on the resume. Okay. So, I mean, I know lawyers that are elders and they, they're not even Christian in my opinion, but that's a, that's a topic for another day. Before you join a church, before you associate with the church, I would ask some serious questions. Now, these are these are my five questions. You may have eight, you may have, you know, there are practical things, you know, the traditional way of, you know, going to a church and, you know, for Sunday services, you know, and then sending the kids off to a Sunday school while you're in a Sunday school. And then they sometimes kid churches because we don't, even though kids, once they're in, you know, uh, kindergarten, age, they have to stand. They have to sit through class, so they should be able to sit sit through a sermon. Okay, though I'm not a big fan of sermons, and we'll get to that in a minute. I have five, and so far the 17 churches closest to me have all failed. Means, and these are not uh, a majority. You have to get all five. I'm not joining a church unless they get all five, okay? Now, to be clear, I want this point front and center. I do not believe in the perfect church because if you join the perfect church, it will no longer be perfect. I'm not perfect. Don't expect my church to be perfect. But I expect it to be north of 50%. That's all I'm asking for, okay? That they're wrong less than they're right, I either right more than a wrong. Okay. But I haven't found one. And my five are kind of are unique to me. Now some of them shouldn't be. I mean, you probably would agree with some of these if you're a Christian. First, they must believe in all three members of the Trinity, not just two. Okay. Way too many churches. And most of the churches I've actually been a part of in the past, unfortunately, I think, fall into this category. They believe in, they say they believe in the Trinity, but in practice, they believe in God the Father. They believe in Jesus Christ, but they're pretty iffy on the Holy Spirit, okay? There is a theology called cessationism, which says that, that God only did miracles during the, the time the church was being formed. Okay. And then he ceased. They say that about tongues. Now I've never speaking in tongues. I know people that have. Okay. I know quacks that have. And I say that. Honestly, I mean, they're, they were telling that Jaws, Oh, well, but I spoke in tongues. Okay. So there's nothing super special about speaking in tongues to make you some sort of, now, there is a denomination. In fact, we visited a church here in Nashville who basically said, if you don't speak in tongues, well, you can still be a member, but you're going to be a second-class citizen here because that's a requirement of being a Christian that you have received the Holy Spirit, and everybody that receives the Holy Spirit speaks in tongue. That's a false teaching, and therefore, obviously, I can be a member of his church. So, on the other hand, you can't be we joke about the Presbyterians, the frozen chosen who while a lot of cessation is in the Presbyterian church, they want very little to do. They're big into their theology. They think that they have all the answers to everything, but let's not talk about God's miracles. Yeah. Let's not talk about the acts of the Holy spirit. Now they'll talk about it. Yeah. I'm thankful that, this and that happened that were just everyday things that happened right. And there's a thing called common grace. Common grace is that you know we we get to we get to where we're going without somebody wrecking us. Doesn't always happen, but more times than not, we at least in America, we get to where we're going without something bad happening. Occasionally you have a flat tire. Occasionally you have a wreck. Okay? No more cases than not, you don't. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about really. But my bottom line is they have to believe in the actual working of the Holy Spirit. They have to actually believe in miracles. Way too many places don't. They don't believe in any kind of God intervening. Now, if you're around in the 1700s when the country was being formed, a bunch of our founders were deists. Now, what a deist believe? They believed in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, was the great clockmaker. He wound up the struggle system and let it go. He didn't get involved anymore. That's what a deist believes, basically. The trouble is, what, that's what these so-called evangelical churches are saying. Oh no, we don't believe God's gonna do miraculous. Yet yeah, Presbyterians have this thing where an elder it's in their book of church order. An elder, you know, go play pray for somebody, anoint them with oil for healing. They don't do it. My son had excuse me, my son had cancer and nobody from the church, and we remember a Presbyterian church at the time, nobody came and anointed his his head with oil and prayed for For miraculous healing, he got healed through the the miracles of modern medicine. Though probably damaged through the chemotherapy, but you know that was he was you know last twenty. He's lived twenty extra years, so how many more he's got? That's a bonus because otherwise, if we hadn't done something, he would have died lacking a miracle. Okay. So you've got to not be closed to miracles. You've got to not be closed to the acts of the Holy Spirit. And here's one that will probably send some people screaming. Um, God does miracles overseas a lot more than he does here for some reason, and partially because they believe him over there. Partially, it's also, it's, it's, they've, they see evil over there as well, okay? I believe in demons <laughs> just as I believe in angels, okay? Um, and there are certain things you just can't explain, okay? You can say, my son was healed because, and that's the way I explain it. My son was healed because God allowed modern medicine to, to do his job, and he was healed. There was no necessary miraculous in that process. There are people that get healed from cancer, thank heavens, every day. There's also people that die. But there are people that get miraculously healed from things. And, you, and it's real easy in the area of, like, cancer or some, you know, back disease to not see. So I give you this and this and there, there are several books on this. Uh, my, the one I were cause it's, it's very, unfortunately there's, it's a two part book, but Eric Metax is one of my favorite authors has a book called miracles. Now, half of that book is about the miracle of creation, but you can skip that whole half and read the other half. Okay. And you can just go back and read it later about Actual miracles from friends or acquaintances of his, one including, um, you know, a faith healer, you know, one of these prosperity gospel guys. I didn't say they weren't, you know, I wouldn't be a part of their deal, but I'm not saying they're not performing miracles. I don't think they form as many as they say they do, but that's neither here nor there. Okay, my nephew, no, my niece, yes, my niece says Kenneth Copeland cured her back problem. Praise the Lord, but I still wouldn't support Kenneth Copeland. Okay. Um, but I'm not denying that that didn't happen. But, you know, back things, those are things that's really hard. So I'll give you a, a clear miracle. This lady was missing a finger. Now, I don't know if it was since childbirth that it, she was missing, didn't have the finger since birth or that it got hurt somewhere along the way. But she was married to a non-Christian, but she went to church and, you know, they had a good life, but she was missing part of her finger. And at the church healing service, somebody prayed and her finger grew back. That's something you can't ever document happening in a hospital. Now they can reattach a finger, you know, if it gets cut off and you've got the finger, you put it under ice, you know, they can, they can do stuff like that today. But a finger that's been long since gone, just growing back. I've never heard of that documented in any hospital. We've got pictures. We've got, you know, I've seen the lady. Okay. She's got a finger now. It's really hard to deny that one. People. So that's number one. They must believe in all three members of the Trinity, not just two. Number two, the Trinity, God, okay, wrote the Ten Commandments with the finger of God. Okay, that's in the scripture. Most people wouldn't deny that. They are above the laws and prophets of Moses. Jesus didn't do do away with any of the commandments. Now there can be there's arguments made that he did away with the the commandment on on the Sabbath. And I don't want to get into splitting hairs. But we know he didn't get away of do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not bear false wisdom, do not covet. Those are all still valid. There's valid on us as Christians, they're actually valid on in my opinion the whole world. I mean it's the reason it's illegal to murder somebody is because the West was built by people from a Christian persuasion, whether they be Catholic Christians or evangelical Christians or quasi Christians or just deists, they believed in the Ten Commandments of God. So, this idea that, you know, as a Christian you can do anything, no, you can't. Christians have been given an 11th law, read John chapter 13, at the last commandment, after Judas left, very important, after Judas left, he gave him a new commandment. Read about it. Okay, that's number two. I don't have a lot of, a lot of churches don't have a problem with that one, but they don't actually practice it either. This one eliminates every church around me. Take church membership seriously. Make church discipline a serious thing. It's so sad that it's so easy, it's easier to join a church today than it is to vote. It's easier to join a church today than it is to commit a crime. Okay. It is so easy to join a church. And it's even easier to leave one. Okay. (coughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. So that's just wrong. Okay. I think, um, church membership should be a little bit more detailed. I rarely compliment Europeans. Uh, but one thing is that the, um, getting a driver's license in the U S is a joke. I mean, they don't require much yet. I mean, it's you pass this little test that some of the questions are stupid as can be. um, and then you have to take a little driving test that's pretty pathetic. And if you make a passing grade, you know, you get your driver's license. In the UK, it's a much harder process to get a driver's license. And I wish it was much harder because so many people don't know how to drive. Okay. But I believe church membership should require some things. Now, to be honest, I will say the church that where the Presbyterian church that we joined when we moved to Nashville, actually, the senior pastor interviewed us. So that's something, because it's a big church. The fact they interviewed—I don't think they do that anymore because he's no longer the senior pastor. But that part actually impressed me. Um. But take church membership and discipline seriously. One of my favorite books, if you have not read this book, please read this book. It's more important than any of my podcasts, anybody else's podcast. It's called The Insanity of God. Okay. Um, he also wrote a, a second book and said it, and unfortunately it's not quite as good. As most second books aren't as good, right? Um, but there's a quote in the second book. Come up with you know, coming up with the definition of the church. The church is a place where you don't show up after a few weeks, they come looking for you. Okay, that's a very good definition of a real church because that doesn't happen in most churches today. You can you can be a regular attender of a church And you can quit going, and nobody's going to come knocking at your door. Nobody's going to call. I say nobody. Some people may. When we had our run-in with the pastor at the church, which everybody knew me, and everybody knew, not everybody knew what was going on. Suddenly, we weren't coming. It was a nice, small, very tight church. Okay, that one of the things I really liked about the church. You know, two hundred and fifty people. Two. Maybe three, called. Hey, what's up? Why aren't you? Why have you been at church? So, yeah, church discipline, church membership it should be a serious thing. Okay, orthodoxy and orthopraxy are not optional. You have to believe in orthodox. You have to believe the right things and you have to do the right things. Elders are to be above reproach. That was my whole problem with this pastor because in the Presbyterian church, pastors are elders. They have to qualify for the position of elder. When there's all these people saying all these things about so-called elder, he's definitely no longer above reproach, is he? So, you know, it's an open, closed case from my standpoint. They must be able to defend the faith. They must not just be rich or famous or powerful in the world. It's disgusting that most deacons and elders or whatever their your lead are popular or somewhat they're the, they own their company or they're, you know, one of those selective people. They're a lawyer. They're whatever. I remember, I know pastors go out of their ways to recruit a lot law, of this lawyer to join their church. It's uh, the churches today, especially where I am, are very white collar centric. Okay. They'll be totally happy if a blue collar joins, but they're totally white collar because that's who they relate to. They don't relate to the working man. So. Membership. Church discipline. Seriously, that's number three. Number four. This one really gets people. John Calvin, and I'm not a Calvinist, okay? I've studied it. I understand it. Can't get there. But doesn't mean I throw out everything. I mean, there's stuff I disagree with with taxes on. There's stuff I agree with a lot of people on various things, okay? Just because I disagree with one chapter doesn't mean I throw the whole thing away. John Calvin wrote in his commentary and I'm getting this from it was originally in in a in a book by David Platt. This is where I originally read this. So in John Calvin's commentary on 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he noted that God has enjoined upon us frugality and temperance, and it's forbidden that anyone should go in excess, taking advantage of his abundance. Lest those then that have riches consider that their abundance was not intended to be laid out as excess, but to relieve the necessary of the brethren. Now, I think most people misunderstand what it means to be a church. I mean I see that as a huge problem. A church is in literally the same thing as a family. I think a church a, a church membership should pay for medical bills the people can't afford to pay for. I think they should pay if they believe it's a right thing this person needs to be a doctor then they should help pay for the educational bills of somebody that's not their child. Okay. I don't believe, I believe they should have things in common. I believe the rich should pay for members of their fellowships things. I mean, it would, it would be a travesty and it happens probably way too much. It should be a travesty that somebody is living in a million dollar mansion and that's a member of the church and a family's, getting kicked out of their house because they can't make their mortgage or can't make their rent payment without the church intervening. Okay. One, we've let food stamps and that kind of stuff do the work of the church. I mean, the church was the social security administration. The church was the food stamp program of the past and we've, the churches hadn't done their job. And so government has had to take over. And some kind of government is taking over even when they hadn't to because they want the power and they want authority. They want people to be loyal to the government. It's a, it's a terrible system. That's the church's job. It's also the church's job to help people outside the deal, but they take care of their own first. Okay? So take a look at any church budget and determine how it really reflects with the full gospel, the full weight of scripture. Okay? Right. It's amazing to me how little church budget goes. In fact, in most cases, none of the church budget goes to help people. At my the church where I employed, it wasn't a part of the budget. There was a separate item called the Deacon Fund, and it was a voluntary extra giving at the, I think once a month they would please give the deacon fund and it would help people with, and then trouble was managed by deacons that weren't trained. I mean, they meant well, but I remember one guy who was a deacon who said, well, yeah, we had the money. So like this family went on a vacation, spent too much on their vacation. They were a little bit short on, Cash. They had plenty of money. I mean they were rich people. They had plenty of money. They just didn't have any cash. So they asked the church to help them out with their mortgage. And so we did. Now short term loan, maybe, but I wouldn't do that with my church money. I would not if they were frugal you know, not if they just spent too much on a on a, I may mean, personally give it to them. Okay, here, here's a thousand dollars to help you out, but you know, pay me back. if you know you can't go into it without you have to assume they're not going to pay you back. But a person who you're friends with, who you loan money to, because they're tied on something, most likely they will pay you back. Okay, but no. And it's a pride thing. A lot of people don't want to do it. I'm one of those. Don't want to ask for help when I need it. But churches should reflect the gospel. And their budgets should be such. They're not businesses. And so the guy in the corner office, i.e. the CEO, i.e. the pastor, should not be paid more necessarily than everybody else. I'm not saying they should be paid less than everybody else either. I think... Church salaries should be kept at a minimum. I don't think churches should have big staffs. Okay. I think, um, I think the first hire should be an evangelist, not a pastor. But I, again, I digress. I think the pastor role, hey, I'm, I'm 62. I was raised in the Methodist church. I became a Baptist for most of my career, most of my life and around 50, I guess, when I moved to town. I guess in my late 40s. I was a member of Presbyterian church for those years. And all those time, I've only known two pastors, 10 different churches. I think I've only really known two people that fit the calling of pastor. One married my wife and me, who I'm still friends with. The other one was actually my, one of my bosses. I had, I went through multiple bosses. Uh, We reorganized the church all the time because the senior pastor was, wasn't, wasn't, a pastor for one he would never i mean unless you were one of his few close friends he did no pastoring all he did was preaching he also was a town administrator he didn't he didn't like making decisions Didn't like making anybody mad he just liked to get his huge salary and preach and, and then he started writing books and making money on the side and like that even better so given a chance to speak some place else and get a $5000 Speaking fee, he would go do that instead of showing up to, to preach at the, his home church because he still got paid whether he was there or not. Isn't that convenient? So, um, yeah, church budgets. I don't, I, I make a joke and it's not really a joke. I'm actually serious by it, but I always make it sound joking because I don't want to overly offend people. But the only difference between a certain church, a big, huge church in the area, and the right-next-door country club, both by the city, one's the First Baptist Church of Blank and the other one's Blank Country Club, the only difference between the two is one has a choir and the other one has a golf course. I mean, their budgets are totally, they have a huge payroll, over 100 people on staff serving the needs and they got money at the Wazoo because it's a rich area. I get the Country Club Park, right? And if a ministry that doesn't, that's—I mean, there's a lot of ministries, and you can only support so many, right? For personally or churches, I get that. No offense there. But if a ministry that they even they say they like, if they don't want to underwrite it. If you want to use their space and they got huge $50 million plus facility. That's gorgeous. If you want to use their place, their rental fee is higher than the Marriott. Okay. It's ridiculous. So church budgets need to be more biblical church salaries. I mean, pastors making these ridiculous fees. No, And last but not least, number five, teaching. More teaching, less preaching. There's a huge difference between the two. Preaching is a lecture where there's no, you may learn something from it, but there's no time to ask questions. There's no time to interrupt and say, what do you mean by that? I, I don't believe in the traditional sermon. I mean, I don't want a traditional sermon. I don't want to go to a church that has a traditional sermon, at least as my primary place of worship. I have no trouble with an evangelist having an evangelistic meeting and trying to win souls to Christ, but that needs to be its focus and not on the whole membership attending and that be our spiritual service, you know our Sunday our service no. So more teaching, less preaching, okay? So the the order of worship as such. The order of worship we have today is so far removed from the order of worship, if you could call it that, they had in the past, okay? Uh, The two are so different, they're unrecognized from each other, okay? Okay? The book of Acts, which is not maybe the perfect history, but it's a good history of what the church did. Second chapter of Acts. They were continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. If you simply replace the world elder with apostles, then you have the perfect definition of Christian life and Christian and church life, and you do not see that in the churches today. The most successful churches today, the most successful part of their churches have what's called, and they're called several things, but they're commonly called home fellowship groups. And that's where, th- that is really the church. The other place is a waste of money in a lot of ways. Because in the home fellowship group, it's it's four or five families get together and they become really close with these people. They eat together. They and therefore if there's a problem, they take care of that person. That is being the church. And you don't and to quit giving all that money to the building and to the pastor who preaches a sermon that you can't ask questions about and you you uh that's that's just never the the whole Sermon thing came from Socrates and the Greeks okay they'd go give these huge presentations and get a huge honorarium and and that's exactly what these pastors are doing in most cases so no i don't believe in the preaching as a form of teaching because it's not as good as teaching. Teaching is much better so biblical teaching under elders, yes fellowship with fellow believers, yes eating together remember what it said in 1 Corinthians five: Oh, if somebody is out of fellowship you shall not eat with this person praying meeting others needs, yes that's what church is but unfortunately the home fellowship school, the Sunday schools class may be doing it but the church as a whole isn't doing it and that's a problem So to finish up my, my thing on on things, if you if your pastor and there may be a exception to this, I'm not saying it's if, if your pastor is making anywhere, and I'll speak for Tennessee, under no circumstances should any pastor in Tennessee anywhere be making a quarter million dollars, anywhere close to it in my opinion. Okay. A quarter million dollars. I also don't believe these pastors that go write books, that the books should be the property of the pastor. That he gets all the money from it. He wrote it on, on church time, really. So let's talk about that. If you're an hourly worker, you get paid by the hour, and those on the you should required to pay. A salary person, there's no set time limit. And a pastor's job is really call: 24-7, seven days a week. It's what the job is. So, to say that he wrote the book on his own time, which is a good joke. These, these guys that write these books, they preach about it. Why? And that's, that's how they work out some of the part of the book. I mean, the pastor who wrote books, you know, for a year he'd be preaching on this series and then it would be a book, you know. And then people would buy the book, of course, because they felt obligated because he was the pastor. And then he would go off selling the book and preaching at other churches instead of preaching at his own church. And he'd get paid for it on top of it some of the time. Plus, he'd get to sell his books. So anyway, I'm not saying you shouldn't pay your pastor, though I don't think a pastor is the proper role. I think I I want to go back to biblical structure. I like the idea of elders and deacons. Elders do teaching. Deacons take care of ministry, okay? The word pastor, which only appears in the entire Bible, New Testament, only appears once in the entire Bible. To build this whole structure on the pastor is absurd. But anyway, so the the person that's a pastor is a very slight person. That person's, you know, if, if and I said, I only know two of them. If something terrible, if my wife was in a critical car wreck coming home from babysitting our grandchild today, the first two calls would be to these two pastors, I know, because that's when you want your pastor. That's a caring ministry. It's a very important ministry. I'm not saying it shouldn't be paid, but I don't think it has to be paid. Okay? But it's not the primary preacher, okay? The preacher is not necessarily the pastor. They're separate roles. And putting them together doesn't always work, okay? So that's my view on the pastorship. They shouldn't be paid all these huge salaries, that's for sure. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I mean, I know a pastor who's a serious pastor who drives a Mercedes, and he's a little bit ashamed about it because he lives in a, not a huge town. But his son is a owns a Mercedes-Benz dealership, and that's one of the ways he honors his father by letting him drive a. He gives him a, a new car ever so every few years, and it's a Mercedes, of course, because that's what he what's the, what his dealership is. Everybody knows that. That knows him, so it's not an issue. But it can be an issue for them, the people that don't know, and that's why he's a little bit but you know I wouldn't turn it down either if my son wanted me to drive a nice car and I like it and I fit in the nice car I'm sure it's it's important to the son as well as to the dad so church issues. Christians need to be Christian. By that, they need to stand for truth. They need to believe in the right things of Scripture, not the crazy things. You know, I see it all the time. And I hear it on both sides. I watch the news, unfortunately, on occasion. I read about it as well. So and so pled guilty, even though he wasn't guilty, he couldn't afford it or it was going to be so much harder to to fight it. And so it was easier to take the plea deal and, you know, and take a lesser sentence or whatever. Or on the other hand, he, he was guilty and he was just trying to get off. I have a pastor who brags, well, it's nice to have the police chief as a member because when I get caught speeding, I never get, have to pay the ticket. Wrong true story I got pulled over uh, actually coming back from um, one of my customers accounts uh, meeting with him and it was a speed trap it was the it was a road that should be more than 30 miles an hour I was going downhill at, and he clocked me at 47 and he said in the road I believe is the Limit it's either thirty or thirty five. I'm doing this for memory, it's been quite a few years. And I said, he says, Do you realize how fast you're going? I go, yeah, that sounds about right. And he's writing me out a ticket, he starts to write me out a ticket. He, and he goes, So you're not arguing with me that you weren't going no. I think it's I think I think it's a poor use of police money to have you have you sitting here doing speed traps, the people who were totally in control of their car going down a road, which is totally safe to go at the speed I was going. It wasn't raining. It wasn't on ice. And there was in this particular case, no place for kids to be playing or animals become jarring out. And it was totally safe. So I think it's a total waste of money to have these places. You probably got the, the city of Franklin in this case, has four or five spots like this where they always set up speed traps because they they make the speed limit that way just in order to bring some money in. And he looked at me and goes, he said, so do you have somebody that's going to get you out of this? I go, yeah, I know people, but I won't do that. I'll pay the bill. He says, why? I go, because I'm guilty. You've just said, I've just admitted, you said I'd go in 47. I could have said, man, it's going 46 or 45, but it's in the ballpark, Okay. I'm not saying I did, I'm not going to go lie before a judge and say, no, he got it wrong. What I'm telling you is it shouldn't be that way. (laughs) And he answered me the thing and he changed it from a ticket to a warning. He says, well, I have to justify the time, but you go have a nice day because your honesty is so rare. But if you're guilty of speeding, don't get out of it. Pay the darn ticket. Or better yet, fight. To have the speed limit corrected to what it needs to be. In my opinion, you should get rid of most, all the speed limits except a um, school zone ones. But they should be, I mean, the schools, some of these school zone ones, you know, the schools half a mile away. I mean, what, what really cracks me up? There's a private school just down the road. Private. Okay. There is one student who walks home because she lives right across the street from it. And that's only, and that one student. Everybody else is being picked up in cars. They're all, you know, you know when to avoid that time because of the line and everything. And they got the speed limit down. And this is a road that speed limit's normally fifty. They got it down to twenty or twenty-five miles an hour, which is stupid. It's a high. I mean, I think it's more in high school. I think it's high school and junior high. There's no elementary kids, and it's back off from the street of YAS. Nobody besides this one student who by I've seen her a few her a few times. She knows how to press the button to get across where the lights turn and it's totally red light and you get across. Not a problem. There's not a person out there directing traffic, though there is at the Presbyterian Church had a school. They've got a person directing traffic and then it probably makes sense to slow people down because they got all this traffic to deal with. But again, again. Some of these are just crazy, but I digress. Bottom line, if you're guilty, you're guilty. If you're not, you're not. Don't plead either way. And after 70 minutes, I think I'm tired of speaking. So, and you're probably, if you're still listening, well, bless you. Um, the next one, we'll, we're getting toward the end of the book. And we're I mean, Lily, this is chapter 12 that we're on now. I've got a chapter 13, 14, and 15, I believe, and then we're done. So, have a wonderful, blessed day.
0: Thanks for listening to the Vorthos Podcast. Visit vorthos.net for more information. That's Vorthos, V-O-R-T-H-O-S.net. You may follow at Vorthos on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on the Vorthos podcast are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Vorthos podcast. Any content provided by Matt or our guest are their opinion and not intended to malign or insult anyone or anything. Matt W. Ruff can be reached at mattw.ruff@forthos.net. at Forthos.net. That's M-A-T-T-W-R-U-F-F at V-O-R-T-H-O-S.net.